We are ending this sermon series, uh, Brutal Honest Truth. Next week, I'm really excited. We're going to start a sermon series called Don't Quit. And uh, I just noticed in my own life and uh, in the life of a lot of people that I meet that quitting is oftentimes something we, we go to. Quite, quite, it's something we, we struggle with because our expectations for life are often that it would be easier, work out, you know, everything would just make sense. There would never be difficulty or, 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 or doors that feel like they're closed. And so I'm going to encourage you. Uh, I think I'm going to go to the story of Joseph in Scripture, and I'm going to work my way through it. It's probably my favorite Bible story in the Old Testament, and I'm going to work our way through it. I did it years ago. I called it You Can Do It. And this one I'm going to call Don't Quit. And it's going to just be on the, based on the life of Joseph. But today, uh, we're going to end this sermon series, Brutal Honest Truth. And here's number five, Brutal Honest Truth. I think it's a good one. Uh, it is, your talent means nothing without consistent effort and practice. Your talent you have means nothing in this world without consistent effort and consistent practice. Anybody in this room in Montgomeryville joining us online, anybody ever been around somebody that was just ridiculously talented, right? First service, somebody pointed at themselves. They're like, I just live with that, right? Like I wake up every morning and look in the mirror. I, I live with it, and so it's a burden. But I've been around people. I didn't say that, right? And so I've been around people that are just, they're so talented, it makes you sick. Like no matter what they do, they're good. I had this buddy growing up. We were in seventh grade. He lived up the street from me. And uh, first service, I used his name, and then somebody came up and told me they knew him. And so I'm not going to tell you his name. Uh, but he was amazing at everything. Like every sport that he played, he was good at. We played baseball growing up. He was good at it. He ran cross-country track, everything he did. Like, if he wanted to do it, he, he did it well. He was so smart. Like, he just got straight A's in school. He was just, everything he did. Like, we would play stickball in our, in, our, in our yard, right? I don't know if you know what stickball is. Stickball, old school sport, right? And so we would take a, a broomstick and a, and a tennis ball, and you would bounce the tennis ball at the person, and we, we had sand mounds in our yard. And so that you'd bounce it off. We had this little concrete patio, pitch it, bounce it off that, and try to hit it with the tennis ball. And if it went over the sand mound without bouncing, that's a home run. We used to play home run derby, derby all the time. He beat me every single day of my life. Like I, he never let me, let me win. He was just good at everything. He was so good that uh, around seventh grade, he started in the summer, he started to get letters from the Hill School and they wanted him to come on a full ride scholarship to run cross country. He was like just and smart as can be. And so we lost touch. He ended up going to that prep school and I, I went, you know, Salem. And so, which wasn't a prep school, it was a small Christian school that I got, didn't get a scholarship to. I got sentenced to there. And so, uh, <laughs> And we lost touch. We just didn't see each other. And I always wondered, you know, I knew, I knew through, through the grapevine that he went to some prestigious, you know, college. And I just thought to myself, I bet this dude is like a perfect, I bet he's in the Olympics. I, I bet that he does brain surgery. Like I, I just bet he accomplished so much in life because he was so talented. When I moved back to Pennsylvania in 2005, I was up at Chili's in Allentown and I was sitting there and I hadn't seen this guy for years. And I'm sitting there and he comes walking by, and on his shirt, it doesn't say, like, like chop or something that says chilies on it. I'm 26 at the time. I'm like, Ch chilies? I was like, he must be a fan of chilies, right? So I stopped him. I said, hey, man. I said, hey, it's good to see you, man. You went to Hill School. You went to this college. You know, I've always wondered what you're doing. And he said, I, I work here. And I remember thinking, like, it's not a bad job. It's, it's honest work. And I asked him, I said, oh, man, that's awesome. You probably own this place, right? Like, you probably own 16 of these, and you do this on your free time while you're working on brains. 
And he said, no, nah, man, I ended up here. I made some mistakes in college. You know, I got a girl pregnant at it, and, you know, that kind of messed up the, 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 what my goals were. And so I had to get a job, and I had to drop out. And, you know, and now I'm working here. I'm the general manager. I said, oh, well, that's good, man. You're working. You're making good money. He was like, yeah, but I work all these hours. And this is not where I thought my life would end up. I just thought to myself in that moment, how many times do you see somebody's talent not match up with their current situation? Remember years ago, if you like college football, there was this guy at, at Texas A&M. He was the first freshman to ever win the Heisman Trophy. In fact, he was so good, they, they named his middle name football. His name was Johnny Football or Johnny Manziel, if you like college football. He was an amazing athlete. Heisman Trophy as a freshman. Gets drafted in the NFL two years later to the Browns. Or not the Browns, the Browns. Yes, nothing good happens on the Browns. And so goes to the Browns, and, and quickly his, his career fades out. You think to yourself, what happened? Well, you find out his character, the small moments of his life when he's not on the field are catching up with him. It's not that he wasn't talented. It's that is the small areas of his life. And I, I want to talk to you about this today, about how, how to see your potential and your talent and who you really are, how to see them aligned. You see, I think that maybe one of the saddest things in life is wasted talent. You see somebody, you go, man, they could do so much with their life. Wasted talent. And let me just make sure you understand. And this is not to fluff your feathers or snowflake you or whatever else happens, but you are all talented. The Bible lets us know that. It says this in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, we're God's handiwork. He put, he put stuff in us, right? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let me just, somebody say, I don't have talents. I'm not good at anything. No, all of us have been given talents. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. We're not all talented the same, but we're all talented. When I was, when I was growing up, one of the popular things to do in my church was to take spiritual gifts tests. I don't know if you knew this. I want to figure out where you're gifted, right? And I don't think it's bad or good. I just think it's, it's silly because you're good at where it comes easy and natural. So like some people would take a spiritual gifts test and be like, you're a worship leader. Wait, well, you can't sing. So you lied on your test clearly, right? Like what's your spiritual gift? Some people don't need to take it. Every woman in here doesn't need to take the spiritual gift test to tell you have discernment. Can I get an amen, ladies? How many times has your wife said, don't do that? Don't do, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't know what you're talking about. And you get back and you're like, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you got discernment. It, it's, it's things that come natural. It's not things you're trying to figure out. And so the question shouldn't become, what's my spiritual gift? The question should become, why aren't more people reaching their full potential in Christ? And I think the answer is simple. And here, here's, here's what I want to talk to you about today. I think most people don't see the fullness of God in their lives, the way that God wants to work. The Bible says God is a God that wants to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. Most people don't ever reach that potential. Here it is, ready? Because they're not good at the small, simple moments of life. They're not good when nobody's watching. We have been so trained that success is found when everybody's eyes are on us that a lot of people you meet are completely different. They filter everything, right? I had a conversation with my, the kid that I, that I tutor. He's now, he's now in a, a, a 10th grade. And so I started in kindergarten with him. And in fact, it was funny the other day. He was like, hey, I'm in geometry now. And my, I asked my mom to get me a tutor for geometry because I knew you weren't going to be able to help me. That's how far along 
we, we are. And he's not right, uh, wrong. Like we played basketball together. I can't help you with that, right? And so, and he was telling me about, he was telling me about school and Snapchat and all these things. And he shows me this, this one girl that's like, his phone dings. I'm like, who's dinging you, right? We're trying to play basketball. It's a girl and she has this filter on. And I'm like, does every girl have a filter on her face now? And he's like, everybody wears filters. You don't take a real picture. You don't show people who you really are. You don't let people into the private moments, right? Because oftentimes the private moments don't line up with the public moments. We spend all of our time focused on the, the platform and the big moments. And we think like Johnny Manziel, I can turn it on because I'm talented. But oftentimes if your talent and the simple moments don't line up, you never reach your full potential. You got to be good at the small things in life. In fact, I want to show you this in a story that I think is so significant, and then I want to work my way through building on this. And here's what I want you to understand. You should maybe write this down. And I think it's true scripturally. I think it's true practically. When it comes to your walk with Christ, you will never experience the significant things that God has for you if you're not first excellent at the simple things. You will never experience the significant things if you're not first good and excellent at the simple things. I want to show you a story in scripture, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus tells a couple parables. It's built on the foundation of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples, um, here's what it's going to look like when I come back. So I'm going to leave. I'm going to die. He's been trying to explain this to him. I'm going to go back to heaven, but eventually I'm going to come back and we're going to set this thing right. And then he says, because uh, the question is, when are you coming back? He says, well, I don't know the exact time or hour, but here's some signs. Here's how you know stuff's starting to wrap up. And he gives all these signs, which, by the way, if you ever read now, you read these signs, you're like, uh-oh. Like, I should probably get my ducks in order right here. Like, this feels a little bit like we're winding up for a close here, right? Like, so I got some stuff to do. So he gives all these signs. And then in Matthew 25, he says, okay, uh, I'm going to be gone for some time. Basically, here's what I want you to do, but he tells it in parables. He first tells the parable of the 10, ten virgins, and he says, here's what's going to happen to a lot of people. They're going to get tired of waiting. He uses this, this, this story about a wedding and a party, and you know, you're waiting for your, your bridegroom to come, and some of you get tired, and some of you, you put more oil in your lamp, and you wait, and some of you stay focused, and some of you get distracted, and then I'm going to come back, and the ones who are distracted are going to miss. Real simple, like that's, that's a little summary of it. Like this is our life, right? Like there's those of us who live our lives every day is, is the last day. We live it, the Bible says we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. We're constantly thinking about it. And there's others of us that no matter what the signs are, we're like, I still got time. We get distracted by the simplicity of life and the nature of what's calling us and the busyness and all these other things that, that we, we, if we're not careful, will draw our attention away from God. So he tells this, this, this story about the 10 virgins. Then he tells one of his most famous parables, the parable of the talents. You guys ever hear this story? And he says, there was this, this man, I'm gonna summarize it for you because last time I read it and if I, I, I just took me a long time and I stuttered my way through it and so we're not gonna do it again. And so you can read it <laughs> on your own time. Because it's a very long portion, and I'm 42 now, and I need bigger writing. And so just figured that out. And so, but the parable of the talents, I, I know it. I learned it. And so uh, parable of the talents, he says, hey, there's, there's also, here's what I want you to do while I'm, while I'm gone. Here's how I want you to act. I'm going to leave you some things. And he says, it's like this. Like a guy, he's the owner of a business, and he leaves one of his, his workers five talents. He leaves one two talents. He leaves one one talent. This is a pretty simple story. He says, the one with five talents goes away puts the talent to work, doubles it. The one with two talents goes to work, doubles it. The one with one talent hides it, buries it, and is afraid to lose it. The owner comes back, goes to the workers. Hey, what'd you do with the talents? The first worker 
says, I had five, but I turned it into 10. This is what he says, and this is one of my favorite lines in scripture. He says, you've been faithful with small things, so now I can give you greater things. Write write that down somewhere. You've been faithful with with small things, now I can give you greater things, so he gives them them more. The next guy says, I have two, but I turned it into four. He's happy, right? You, you, You doubled it. It's not about the size of what you've got, it's about the work and the effort you put into it because there's nothing insignificant, right? So he says, I doubled it. And he says, same thing. You've been faithful with, with, with little. You've been faithful with small. Now I can trust you with more. Then the guy with one comes. He has all sorts of excuses. I was afraid. You're hard to work for. You expect too much. You know, all these other things that we often will say to God if we're not careful. And he buries it. And the, and, and the, the owner comes back and says, what'd you do with the one? He says, well, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't have five talent, and I didn't have two talent. I only had one talent. You ever do that? We'll look at a Johnny Manziel or somebody much more talented than us, and we'll go, man, that's a shame. They don't do what they should do. If I had that talent, man, I would have lit. I would have taken the Browns to the Super Bowl if I had Johnny Manziel's talent, right? Well, no, no, you're a one-talent person. You're a one-talent person. You don't have five talents. You, maybe you have one talent. Here's the question. Not what would you do with five talents. What, what do you do with one talent? What do you do? He says, I didn't do anything. I buried it. What, what does the master say? Ah, oh, cool. That's good. Good try. The Bible says that the master takes the one talent, gives it to the guy with 10 talents now, and then tells him, you're going to go to a place with gnashing and burning. Of tea. Like, I'm like, that's a little extreme. <laughs> Could just fired him, gave him a pink slip. But I think he wants us to know the seriousness of it. Listen, I wrote in my notes, and I want you to remember this. Size does not determine the significance. What you have does not determine. Everything matters. Every moment, every decision, every detail, everything matters. In fact, the old preacher, D.L. Moody, he says, there are many who are willing to do great things for God. We all want to do great things for God. But there's few who are willing to do small things in a great way. Everybody wants a pulpit. Everybody wants a platform. Everybody wants followers. Everybody wants fame. Everybody wants money. Am I right? Everybody wants significance. Most of us are not willing to do small things in a great way. So let me just teach you why this matters, why small things matter in your life. Number one is this, everything, everything. I couldn't think of a better word, so I just put everything. Everything depends on how you handle the the small things. Think about this. Jesus never pastored a large church. Did you know that? Jesus never pastored a large church. He was never president. He was never governor. He was never mayor. He took time for the little children, the insignificant children. He told simple stories, right? Like he he just told practical things. He spoke of a flower, a bird, a gardener, a lost coin, a boy who ran away from his father. He and his father and our father take notes of the bird that, fa- that falls and the, the clothes, the lilies of the field. He's even interested in every hair on our, our head or lack thereof. In other words, when we are great at the little things, what do we become like? We become like Jesus. He, he was great at the little things. I, I cannot tell you this enough. Everything in your life depends on how you handle the small things. They matter. They have a big impact. They're significant. A big mistake we often make is we we tend to measure the importance of the task by its size. We weigh it out. We weigh it out. I remember when I was 13 years old, I worked at a place called Sunoco. It was my first job in Bechtelsville, Pennsylvania. I worked for a guy named Ted Panacean. I've shared this story before in my time with him. And uh, you ever have somebody in your life that you were terrified of, but as you got older, you were grateful for? 
Ted was that. Like, he was my first boss, and I was absolutely terrified of him. Like, I, he, he scared me. Uh, I, I, I oftentimes, when he came, I would hide. Like, he, he was just, he had a red Jeep Cherokee, Grand Cherokee, and when it came in, I promise you, the same music that played on the 101 Dalmatians for Cuella DeVille played for him. He would jump out of his car before it even stopped. You wouldn't even have time to act like you were working when he got there. Like, he knew, right? He was so crazy. This is the true story. He had cameras with video, right, where he would record every, every moment of every day at Sunoco. And for fun, he would go home and watch it. <laughs> he was terrifying. And he used to teach me things. And I thought when I started working at Sunoco, I was signing up to be a cashier. Very important job. And when you're a cashier, what do you do? You stand at the cash register and you wait on customers. It's an amazing job if you think about it. You stand and you wait. And if nobody is there, guess what you get to do? Stand, right? And so I would just, I remember, I would just get at the counter and I would just lean like this. And I would just talk. We used to have two cashiers. And we would both just kind of talk and lean. And uh, one day he came in and he saw us both leaning there. I don't know if he was watching up on the mountain pre-internet days. I'm not sure what happened. It was like he knew. He came in and he said, let me tell you something. You will never, ever, ever do that again. You are never allowed to just stand at that cash register. And here's why. If you don't start taking care of the work in this place, we're not going to have any customers anyways. He said, everything I'm about to teach you is going to determine how many customers walk through our doors. And so he began to teach me things. He began to teach me that everything in that place is significant. He took me to the cooler and he said, look at every drink, every Snapple, every Gatorade, every bottle of Pepsi and Coke. Every one of these labels has to be facing forward. You need to go to the back, face everyone forward. Why? He said, because people can't read the back of the bottle, right? And then he said, here's what you're going to, you're going to make ice. You're going to put this much ice in the thing. And oh, when you're done with the ice, you're going to go to the rollers. You know what I'm talking about? The hot dog rollers, where things go to die at most gas stations. And you're going to make sure that the hot dogs that have been sitting for longest, you're going to move them forward. You're going to put the newest, the newest hot dogs in the back. And at the end of the night, you're going to clean the hot dog rollers off and throw the hot dogs in the trash. Then he walked me to the toilet as a result of the hot dogs. And he said, here's a brush. Every day that you're at Sunoco, you will end the night by cleaning the toilet in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the sink, in the mirror. Every night, you're going to mop the floors. Every day, I want you to go out into the, into the gas station parking lot and pick up cigarette butts. And when you're done that, I want you to wipe off all of the, the gas units, whatever they're called. Make sure they're, they're clean. And then he just kept, he just kept going. By the end of the time, I wasn't at the cash register at all. But something was crazy about that job. He built this business where, where basically it was Wawa before Wawa existed. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like he, he, anything he put his hands to, it was like, boom, it was successful. We, we started selling pizzas and we started from a gas station and we started, we had a deli and people were coming in and everything he touched, we're going to do propane now. And it just continued to grow. And I started to ask him one day, what's your secret? Why, why are you so successful? He said, because I'm interested in the small things. Everything in your life depends on how you handle the small things. You know what was interesting? interesting? I go back there from time to time whenever I'm in Bechtersville, which is very rarely now because my parents moved. But when I would go back into Sunoco, it still says Sunoco. But when I was 18 years old, Sunoco bought Sunoco from, from, from Ted. So it became a corporate Sunoco. So you know what happens when corporations take over. 
I go into the bathroom, right, that I used to clean every day, and I promise you the bathroom has not been cleaned since 1998. You know what they don't have? They don't have customers flying through the door. They don't have customers waiting for deli sandwiches and pizza, all the drinks. You might be out of Snapple. You might not even be able to snap into a Snapple there. It might be empty. And I go back to, to my first boss when he would teach me, everything in your life depends on how you handle the, the small things. Small things handled right bring future success in your life. It's significant. Let me just give you a few reasons it's significant. Number two is this, is small decisions handled correctly. Here's what they do. They earn future responsibilities. Here's what I would ask you. How many of you want more responsibility in your life? Not like, not like responsibility, like life responsibility. Like, no, I'm good, right? Like opportunity. I do. I want to pastor a more influential church. That's what my job is. If you have a business, you want, to, you want to run a business that has more influence, that makes more money, that has more leadership in it. If you're at school, you want more influence. Some of you are teachers. You're like, I can run this school. I want, I want to run. I could be the principal. Some of you are like, I could be the president of the United States right now. Seriously, I could do that, right? Like, I want more I want more, I don't want to say responsibility because that feels weighty. I want more opportunity in my life. And here's what you need to remember. Small decisions right now in your life, handled correctly, are going to earn you future responsibilities. And here's why. Godly responsibility is a trust thing. The question is, can you be trusted with, with more? And here's how you show God you can be trusted with more. You handle correctly what you currently have. And here's the, here's the bottom line. Here's why it's so big to God. God knows that if he were to give you more responsibilities, that if you mess up, there's more consequences. Like some of you, you're like, God, I want the responsibility of a spouse. I want the responsibility of a wife. I want the, some of you, it's not opportunity to be married to, to, to somebody else, right? And to do life with them and all of these things. And meanwhile, meanwhile, you can't even pay your bills on time. And you can't hold a job down, right? And you're always a mess and you're always sad and you're always, you know, missing something. And all these moments where you could handle it, right? I'm going to get up and go to work on time and I'm going to put the effort in and I'm going to pay off my credit card. And all these small moments in your life where you're asking God to give you something more. And God's saying, if I give you that, you'll ruin it. Like if I give you that opportunity and if you ruin it, the consequences are, are greater. I started thinking about my son. I have a, a, uh, a son who's 14 and a half years old. You know what that means? In less than two years, he's going to be on the road, driving. Take a deep breath. And I've been having this conversation with him for five years, at least, probably since he was five years old. Someday, you're going to get your license and you're going to want to go out and you're going to want to drive and you're going to ask to go on a date and you're going to pick them up and you're going to pick your friends up and I'm going to have to expect you to not run out of gas and not kill somebody else or kill yourself and this is going to be a huge responsibility and yeah I get it dad and here's the problem you're not good at your small responsibilities right now like let me give you an example you took the milk out of the refrigerator, you filled your glass up with milk, you sat and you ate a whole sleeve of cookies, and the milk is still sitting out. And some of you say, what's the big deal? Well, if you can't put the milk back in the refrigerator when you're done eating because you forgot, how are you going to remember to stop at that stop sign? What are you going to say when you pull through and you accidentally California roll into somebody else? 
What are we going to tell that, that girl's parents when you, seriously, when you didn't obey the laws and you didn't put gas in it and you ran out of gas and put their little girl's life on, on the line because you didn't have gas and oh, you didn't charge your phone because you forgot? And the problem is the milk right now doesn't hold that much consequence. The consequence is it makes me mad. It irritates me. It shows me that you're not being responsible. But the consequence is small. But the greater opportunity that I'm going to give him in a few years, guess what it's going to hold? The magnitude of the consequence is ridiculous. And some of you are telling God right now, God, I want more in my, in my life. I want you to give me more opportunity. I want you to give me a better job, a better car, a better house, a better family, a better whatever you're asking. God, would you heal that? And God's saying, okay, let me see if I can trust you with better while you take care of what you currently have. The small things matter. No, number three is this. It is small steps taken consistently make the biggest difference. I want you to hear this as a, as a Christian because this one has absolutely driven me, driven me bonkers in, in my life, right? Because as a Christian, and, and really as, as anything, like if, if you're a business owner, oftentimes you'll go to, you'll go to an event, and, and for me, I've been, I've been to pastoral conferences, and it's like you listen to things, and basically what it is is you do this one big event, and success will follow you. Just one big. You, you have this one big Easter, and boom, mega church, right? Like this people will come. You give this one thing away, and for the rest of your time, you'll just sit back and be in success. And we do this even in, in, in church world. Like I, I, I think a lot of Christians have what I call the mission trip mindset. You, you know what that is? You don't, you don't live on mission while you're in America, but you'll spend $3,000 to go be on a mission trip in Nicaragua. You know what I'm talking about? Like hey, when's the last time you told your neighbor about Jesus? I didn't. But we did these car washes where we saved up $3,000 and 35 snotty, acne-filled teenagers traveled to Nicaragua where we built the foundation for a church that's going to be there in 16 years and we spent three days on the beach, right? And then we leave. And I often think to myself as a pastor, I'm just, I told you this before, but I just want to tell you it again in case you weren't here, is when I was, when I was first starting, if 35 teenagers would have called me and said, hey, we want to come, this youth pastor, we're going to come, we're going to do a mission, we're going to help you for a week, I would have said, how much is, is the cost of, ev of everything? So, oh, it's $3,000 a person, we're going to come from there, we're going to stay here. I would have said, just send me the money. Because I can take that money and I'll invest it into the work God's doing. And over time, we'll see more put in than, than one week. And this is what we do. We go, I'm going to go for a week and I'm going to be really serious about my faith. And I'm going to have all sorts of influence. We do this in our marriages. My marriage is falling apart. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do one romantic weekend. You've been, your marriage has been a wreck all of 2021 into 2022. But guess what in a week and a half is? It's Valentine's Day. I'm going to turn up in that day, right? Rest of the time, no interaction, no investment, no kindness, no whispering sweet nothings into your ear, no gifts, no surprises, no exercise, no nothing like that. You know what makes a bigger difference in your marriage? Every day waking up and going, what can I do for my spouse? I can, they, they really like coffee. I'll put the coffee on for them. I'll bring the coffee up. You know what else I can do for my spouse? I can brush my teeth today. <laughs> Kids, we do this. We're like, man, I've been an absentee father for so long, or mother, I haven't spent time with my kids, so I'm going to schedule a week in Disney World. That'll fix them. 
Instead, what your kids want is every night on the, in the week, they want time with you. They want to sit with you. They want to wrestle with you. They want to play basketball with you. They want to watch sports with you. They want to spend time with you. But we'll, we'll do this a lot in our lives. And I want to remind you why small things are so important is small steps in your life taken consistently make the biggest effort, a, a, a difference. I, I wrote this in my notes. Consistency in the small stuff over time equals big time momentum. You know why I'm here as a, as a son of a pastor? Because the likelihood of somebody who grew up in ministry wanting to be in ministry is almost zero. It just is. Like most, most pastor's kids I know, they're like, I don't want to do that for my life. And my parents, they had consistent uh, consistency. Never once in their life did they tell me how crazy it is to pastor. Never once. They, they only told me how good it was. If they would have told me how crazy it was, I would not be here today. They lied to me, right? <laughs> you know what else they did? They used to take their tie check. I've said this before, and they used to put it on, on the desk in, my, in, my, in my, my, my kitchen. And I used to walk by, and I would see the faith, how they were going to be faithful to God. Also, when I was a teenager, and I started doing what teenagers do, I hated church. I had a decade long of, of disp I despised it. I didn't want to be there. I, where, where do you want to be? I want to sleep, right? And they used to tell me, church is not an option. Every week, church is not an option. Church is not an option. You're going. Church is not an option. You go to church first. Hey, Dad, can I go here? Can I play this sport? Can I got asked to be on this? No, church is not an option. You first go to church, and everything else in your life will work out. And there wasn't a moment in my life where they were like, we're doing this big thing, and then you're going to get called into ministry, and you're going to preach the rest of your life, and, and, and we're going to be successful. You know, how they, you know how they led me to Jesus? Small, simple, consistent simple, small, nobody's watching, simple, consistent steps. And all of a sudden I went, this is real. This, this is right. This is true. This is something I also want to give my life to and be used by God because of, of them. Small steps taken consistently make the biggest impact. And, and number, number four, small tasks treated with tenacity tell us everything we need to know about ourselves. I'll write this down somewhere. If a task is worth doing, it's worth doing right. If it's not worth doing, don't do it. But if a task is worth doing, if something needs to be done, it's big, right? If you have a job to do, it's big. If, if it's worthy of our attention, it's worthy of our best. Listen, I want you to remember, this might be the only thing you're gonna remember. That's why I waited to the very end of the, of the sermon. But I want you to remember this in the context of God because all of us, all of us, at the end of our day, want our life to be significant. All of us. We want our life to matter. We, we want it to be important. We, we, we wanna find success. We want, we wanna impact other people. We want, we want that for our lives. And I'm just gonna read this to you because it's something that I've reminded myself of often in ministry because I find myself doing things that I did not go to school for. Right, they don't, they don't talk, like in your job, same way. Like, they're like, you're gonna start a business, you're gonna do this, you're gonna open this, but you'll find yourself doing things that they didn't tell you you're gonna have to do. And I just wanna remind you of this, and it's, 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 it's something significant that I've remembered. If you are too big to do something small, remember this, you are too small to be something big. If you're too big to do something small in your life, you're too small to be something big. I found this to be true in my life. I've talked to pastors before, and uh, I remember, I have a heart for new pastors because I remember what it felt like. I remember what it feels like when you have an unrealized dream, uh, and it's not moving fast enough. Anybody else ever been there? And I'll meet pastors, and you know, a lot of times in pastoral ministry, there's concepts they teach you, 
that mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Because you're working in the real world. You're not working in the, in the bubble, right? So I'll meet pastors and they'll talk about how many hours they spend on their sermon and all these things that they're doing, their theology and all their favorite authors. And you'll walk into their buildings that they ran or whatever they're at and you'll take your finger and you'll go like this on something. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe in the bathroom and you just go like this and you, it's full of dust. And I tell them, spend five less hours preparing your message because there's only three people coming. Right? And spend some time cleaning. Spend some time straightening your chairs. Spend some time making sure your light bulbs all match. Like they're all the same. You ever been in a place? It's like, it's like, it's like the, the, the stars, right? Like everything's different. It feels like you're looking at Saturn over here and you know, you're like, all the bulbs are different. And why are 16 of them out? You ever been to a business where they're always just out of stuff? You go to the bathroom, you're like, I don't know if I should call the cops or do my business in here, right? <laughs> it's dirty, right? And so you just, and just real simple. Hey, be faithful in the small things. Hey, what, what time do you get to your office on Monday? Well, no one's watching me. I get there, you know, when I get there. No, no, maybe, maybe this week, maybe. Here's a news flash for you. Maybe you should come at the same time and leave at the same time every day and put the work in even no one's watching you. I know what it feels like. I did it for years by myself. It was just, you go and you just work and you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do? I'm just going to clean the toilet again, right? Sweep up the floor again. And you just, you just need to understand that if you would treat small tasks with tenacity, that they'll tell you everything you need to know about yourself. They'll tell you if you're prepared for God to bring more into your life. In fact, my favorite, my favorite verse in Scripture, and I, I say this is one of my favorite stories. I say that a lot, probably every week. And so... Uh, because that's what I'm thinking about. But my absolute favorite verse in, in, the, in the Bible is found in Colossians 3.23. Because I think so many people miss it. Watch what it says. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, when you make your bed in the morning, when you, when you clean dishes, the way you drive, uh, the tenacity with which you work, at whatever career you have, whatever you do. What does it say? Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Just work. No matter what it is, put the effort into it. And here's what's so cool. Did you see what the, what the Bible says? I didn't read it to you, but in Matthew 20, 25, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. If you re go back and read that in verse number 20, 23, he says, you're faithful with a few things. And watch the promise. And I'll put you in charge of many things. And so here, here's, here's the takeaway from it. If you're faithful with whatever God has given you right now, whatever it is, right, and it feels small or it feels big or whatever you think, the truth is whatever you're currently faithful with, that if you would be faithful with it, that bigger things are coming and this will be the small thing. You, you see what I'm saying? Like for me as a pastor, if I'm faithful here, if I was faithful in 2005, 2009, 2015, 2022, whatever God brings to me, if I'm faithful with it in the future, this will be the small thing. You, you, see, you see what I'm saying? It, it's, it's such, it's, what's so cool about it is it puts you in the driver's seat of your life. You're not going, God, because we love the songs. I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on you, God. I've done everything right. Have you? Have you? Did you do everything right today? Did you work at everything or did you cut a corner? Did you not start the day the way you're supposed to start it? Do you show up when everybody's watching and the lights are on, but when the lights go off, are you a totally different person? 
Do you understand the significance of the small things in your life? The moments nobody's watching. Do you lift your hands and worship and go home and turn a TV show on and fix your eyes on something that you shouldn't be watching? Do you ask God to bring more finances? Because let's be honest, we always want more finances. I'm praying that all the time. God, we need more to do what you're calling us to do. And God's saying, that's great. What are you doing with what you have right now? Because if you handle it right, no matter how big you think it is, in the future, it'll be the small thing. The small things in your life, they matter. Nothing is insignificant. Would you stand to your feet all over our houses? Here's what I know with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, is if you want more responsibilities, they often gravitate to the person who can shoulder them. And you are proven that you can shoulder them by how you're currently stewarding, I wanna teach you that word, stewarding what God has given you right now. Your marriage, your kids, your business, your finances, your time, your health. Every area of your life is significant. Here's the problem with churches. Can I, can I just be frank with you? Church can be one of the fakest places in the world. You can turn it on at church and be somebody totally different at the house and feel fine. That's, that's what we do, it's called religion. I have, I have no fruit, I have no change, my heart is still crooked and my mind is still depraved and I don't really act any different than anybody else of this world when I'm not here. But when I get to church, I know the smile, I know the hand position, I've learned it, I've watched, looked around, you got the, it's good, touchdown one, you got the, you know, upside down blessed hands, you know what I'm talking about, you got the one arm raised, I know the words to sing, they're on the screen, I love that song. But if I dig into your life, who you are when you leave, it don't line up with who you are here. You're not faithful when the lights are off. The Bible calls you a, a hypocrite, I know that's a harsh word, but a hypocrite just means an actor. You put the mask on when you come, the church mask, and when you leave, you go back to the real person that you are. And listen to me, it's an awful way to live your life. It's so time consuming, it's so burdensome. And that's why I think that, that, the, that the Lord, that he designed a church, a group of people who come together in this moment where we seek the face of God. Because when you do that, when it's done right, it creates an atmosphere where people can just be honest where people can be real, when people can struggle, where people can say, when they look, take, them, take a look in the spiritual mirror and say, man, there's things in my life I need to change. There's areas I need to shift. And this is a big one. Because God has more to do in your life, I can promise you. He has greater things for your family. He has more responsibility He wants to entrust you with. He has a bigger platform that he wants you to stand on. He has that for you, but he can't give it to you until you pre prove trustworthy where you're at right now. So maybe stop praying for more and say, God, give me clarity and how you want me to handle my current situation, my current job, my relationship, uh, the talents you've given me, uh, the finances you've given me. God, I want those to align with you in every way imaginable. And when you do that, he'll do more. It matters. So maybe you're in this place and you would say, you know what? I am two different people. 
Even at work, I know how to turn it on when people are watching me, but if you get me alone in my house, if there were to be a camera on me and see, see, see my life, that I don't look like the portrayal that I try to put out there, the person that I try to carry myself in, and it's exhausting, and I don't want to live my life like that anymore. First thing you do is admit that that's who you are. Second thing you do is you give access to the Holy Spirit. Because I can promise you, in my own life, when I live like that, all I feel is a constant nagging from the Spirit of God saying, that's not good enough, man. I got more for you. I got better for you. But first you need to admit that you're not where you're supposed to be. And there's also this moment where you do that and you say, you know what, I am that person. Like, I need help. There's this freeing moment where you realize I'm not perfect. My job is to continue to live in repentance and give more and more and more of myself to God. So maybe you don't know him that way. You have this religious experience here in Montgomeryville, but you have never stepped into faith with Christ where you have aligned every aspect of your life, your private and your public. And I can promise you, here's the problem, they eventually collide. They eventually collide. So you, you, you might as well get it right now. You might as well walk in freedom. Not perfection, but freedom. So I'm gonna ask you a question. It's kind of invasive, I'm not gonna lie. Church is a great place to allow uh, something to come deep into your soul, a question to, to invade your, your life, right? And so the question is, is that you? Am I, am I speaking of you? Are, you? are you one way at church or when people are different when you're alone and you, you know, man, I got I to gotta get these things right. I got to give my entire life, not just my public life, but my entire life to Jesus Christ. I want him to come in. I'm tired of living a double life. I'm tired of living with double standards. I'm tired of truth not being true all the time. But today I want to. I want to begin to follow him. I want to begin to seek his face. I want to be begin to receive from him. I want to be in right relationship with him. If that's you all over this place, I want to pray. I know it's invasive, but I think it's a good spot to do a little digging into your life. And you say, hey, that, you're, you're speaking to me. And today, I just, I just need to repent. I just need to give my, my whole life, not just my, my church life, but my whole life, everything in me, I need to give it to Christ right now. I need to give him access. There's areas I'm not obedient. There's areas that I'm walking in out, outright disobedience. And I need to align those right now. I need to give him everything that I am, the public and the private. If that's you all over this place in Montgomeryville, you say, hey, that's me. I'm bold enough to admit that I have enough courage to say I need to make a change all over this place. Would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, you're speaking to me right now. You're speaking to me right now. There's a few hands right here. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Another hand right here. You're bold enough. You have enough courage to say, you know what? You're speaking to me. Maybe you're in Montgomeryville. You're joining us online in the chat. You would just type, that's me. I'm going to align my life fully with God right now. Let's just begin to pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for this day, and we thank you for all that you've done here today. We thank you for the celebrations of baptisms and obedience, Lord, and just all of the next steps that are happening. For some of us, our next step is to just give you access in every area of our life. It changes us. But what's the difference between the talent and reaching our potential? It's often in, in the insignificant, the small moments of our lives, the private moments. Lord, it's those of us that handle our life in private that are able to handle what you want to do through our life in public. 
So let us, let us grasp and think about every area of our lives. Let us align it for those of us who need to repent to you right now and say, Jesus, fully come into my life. I give you full access from the moments when no one is watching to the moments when everyone is watching. Jesus, I just want to bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you for saving me and thank you for setting me free. Lord, we're thankful, Father, for what's going to happen, for how you're going to work, for how you're continuing to work. And I'm thankful, Father, that every task that we see this week, that we're going to practice Colossians 3.23, that whatever we do, we're going to do it as if we're doing it for you and not for man, Lord. And then I'm grateful for all that you're going to do, all that you're going to accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, one more time, church. Would you shout amen with me? Amen. Let's clap together one more time. Hey Church Online, you are the reason that we stream our services. Because of that, we want to make sure that you feel connected. Check out the link in the bio to fill out our online VIP card. Let us know if it's your first or second time watching, if you have any questions, or if you gave your life to Jesus. Our team can't wait to reach out to help equip you take your next steps here at Journey and with your relationship with Jesus. Church online is one of the best ways to get introduced to church, but we know nothing can replace being in person. God calls us to meet together to serve others, grow in community, and experience the transforming power of God, not just in our own lives, but also in the lives of others. If you're not in the area, we would love to help you find a church near you, so you can let us know in the VIP card. Have a great rest of the week. See you soon. <laughs>